0: Since the day she gave me that coveted final rose, my wife,
1: Trista Sutter, has made me a better person. If she can get me to know better, to do better, and to just all around be better, then I'm sure she can do it for you too. You're listening to Better Etc. with my wife and your host, Trista Sutter.
0: Everybody, I hope you're having a great day. This is episode 11 of the Better Etc. podcast. And up until this point, I haven't had anyone on the podcast to talk about parenting, to help all of us parents with how we can be better. But that all changes today. I have a wonderful life coach, a person who used to be a counselor. A social worker, she has been given the nickname of Teen Whisperer, if that isn't something to draw you in, parents, but she is here to share all about how we can connect to our teenagers, how we can communicate with them, when we should talk to them about certain things like sex, and how we talk to them about certain things like friend drama and school. What are the things that guide teenagers' behaviors? And I share this great quote from a free guide that Kirsten offers. It is all about what they're allergic to. You guys are going to want to know this. So that you can make better choices and react better in certain situations. I share about how I have reacted in certain situations with my kids and some things recently that have happened with Max and Blakesley. In order for you guys to reap the benefits of my mistakes, (laughs) because Lord knows I am not an expert and I certainly need the expertise of Kirsten Kobabe. She is incredible. We have such a great conversation. She shares even the basics of adolescence so that you can take that knowledge and think about it when you are communicating with your teenager, with your tween. I also give her a couple questions from followers who sent them to me and needed help with a couple different topics that I have a feeling most parents of teenagers will also need help with. So I hope you'll tune in and listen to this great conversation. And I'm sorry it took me so long to get someone on here to help all of us parents, but time to change in and Kirsten Kobabe is here to help us. I hope you also head to wherever you listen, subscribe, give us a five stars, and also please go comment with how you plan to be better tomorrow, since that is a common question that I ask on every single episode. So I hope you're having a great day. I hope this information from Kirsten, the Teen Whisperer, is beneficial to you, and I hope that you enjoy our conversation. Here we go. Okay, before we get into today's episode, I wanted to... Bring your attention to our incredible sponsor, BetterHelp. I have been using BetterHelp for, I don't know, about two weeks now. I was connected to a therapist and we have had one session and she was incredible. Such a great listener. You can tell that she knows what she's doing. So BetterHelp, you guys, is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. You can send a message to your counselor at any time. And my counselor, which I'm sure all of the other ones do too, gets back to me right away with really thoughtful responses. She wants to help. Like that's her job, obviously, but she truly wants to help. I can feel it. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. And for my personal experience, I know I just started, but I really feel like they are doing a great job of that. This service is available for clients worldwide. It is more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and they can help you with anything. Their licensed professional counselors specialize in depression, family conflicts, relationships, sleeping issues, which, oh my gosh, I'm having a lot of those. I'm also dealing with a lot of anxiety and stress. Or they can help you with anger. They can help you with grief or self-esteem, trauma, really anything and anything you share is confidential. But the best part is, you guys, you can do it from the comfort and convenience of your own home. And you can choose whether to do an online chat, a video session, or a phone session. Totally up to you. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com etc. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash E-T-C. Welcome, Kirsten Kobe. Thank you for having me. So good to be here. And to see you. (laughs) Yeah, I know face-to-face. Of course, people can't see the video, but we are face-to-face. I like to do my interviews face-to-face just because I feel like it's better connection. And instead of just listening... Add that other sensory layer in there, and I'm all for it. So welcome. I'm really excited to chat. Of course, I have a 13-year-old and an 11-year-old. So I'm almost with two teenagers. Kind of am, because Blakesley, even though she's 11, she's kind of 11 going on 16. Then I've got two teenagers. (laughs) I really need your help. It's difficult. And of course, it's normally difficult, but I think adding the component of... COVID and quarantine and homeschooling and all of that makes it exponentially harder on parents. So I think this is really timed appropriately. I I think that we all could use your help in terms of raising better teenagers. So thanks for being here. That's so my pleasure. I love
1: being, <laughs> I love talking about this. I love being with the families and working through this stuff. And you're right. It is, I think, harder for a lot of people right now.
0: Holy cow. No kidding. Okay. So I like to start off with kind of getting to know my guest. And so I'd love to know who you are, how you got into counseling and social work and coaching and why adolescence is a passion for you.
1: I've been working with families for over 20 years. I was actually working with teenagers when I was a teenager. No way! Yeah, when I started really young Uh, mentoring an adolescent. I was older adolescent, she was younger and it was wonderful, I loved it so much. And you know, a few things naturally led me into my master's degree in social work. One, I was noticing that there were a lot of families, I was living in um, LA at the time and a lot of families had a lot of extra and not that there was anything wrong with that, However, I just remember feeling like maybe I can be there with people that don't have anyone, you know, maybe that, maybe there's a space to fill there and certain just aspects of my own adolescence influenced this, you know, what worked for me, what helped me get through some tough stuff. So yeah, then I got my master's in social work, went on to be a licensed therapist. I worked in hospitals, prisons with women in recovery And eventually, always with families. Um, It wasn't until I was a licensed therapist a while ago that I was really working with the teenagers. And this is where, even though I loved every other group, this really felt like the place I was meant to be, mostly because, well, I, I really loved it and was having so much fun and enjoying it. But also the response I was getting was these children were wanting to come see me and they were, their behaviors were shifting and their parents were the parents that were engaged and and making that choice and committed were able to sort of see their kid in a new light. And it really changed the dynamics in the home. So it just kind of stuck. And then I decided to move into coaching for a few different reasons, but loved therapy, love coaching. I, no matter which one I was doing, I sort of have a similar approach, which is really holistic and intuitive. And I tend to attract
0: a lot of the more
1: quote sensitive young people.
0: Mm, That's me and my children. I love hearing people's journeys, kind of how they got to where they are and finding their passion. I mean, I have certainly found mine in this podcast. I'm loving every minute, especially because in a selfish way, I'm really getting a lot of great information for me in particular, but I hope that people out there are getting the same. So oh, anyway. I'm
1: sure they are. And if, <laughs> why not? Like if it's helping you, it's most likely supporting and helping
0: many other people. I hope so. Okay, so on your Instagram page, part of a recent caption that I read was understanding the basics of adolescence allows you to respond rather than react to speak in a way that your kid can understand and ultimately foster that connection you know is possible. So I loved that quote because I truly feel like information is power and the more information the better and I feel like with parents especially when it comes to teenagers, when it comes to parenting in general, information is power and we need it so badly. In whatever way, shape or form you get it, I think it's really important to get it. So I totally agree with this statement and I I want to understand those basics of adolescence in order to be a better parent. So can you go over kind of the basics of adolescence, what those stages are, because I know I believe there's three stages, what those ages are for each stage and what each stage deals with in particular, like what are those difficulties that they are trying to process and what are they working through in particular in those stages?
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, just to kind of validate what you said, we don't necessarily know about adolescence unless we go looking for the information, you know, it's not like we, learn this before we have an adolescent in our home, at least most people. And so it can be confusing and, and a bit strange, especially because this age is so unique. So in general, this adolescent stage is all about identity really, and coming into one's own self. The younger years, like 10 or even nine, sometimes to 13 is really when we start to see the actual physical changes Mm -hmm. in a young person. And there's even like a shift in the thinking where it can go where a young person might be really thinking about fairness, right and wrong. And that can that can be really just interesting to observe and, and quite different than their younger selves. And it might have for some interesting conversations. There's often a need for more privacy and space that starts. And that can be a little hard sometimes because all of a sudden this, this little one may not want to snuggle or do the same things they used to do. And they're really asking for that, that space. And then, yeah, 14 to... 17 is another stage we can sort of look at in this. And that's when, I mean, the changes still are happening, of course, in for the body. And it's important to, in that earlier stage, even talk about it beforehand to sort of relieve any worry or surprise. And that can be really helpful for the younger ones. And so the changes continue and there might be romantic Interests popping up. And so knowing that, and then even a little bit more need for space, possibly some more arguments where they're like, no, this is what I need. And this is what's important to me. And it might, or these are my values and it might bump against, you know, wherever the parents are, especially if they're not prepared for that. Yeah. And so, yeah. And then 18 to even mid twenties, sometimes a little later is that other stage and it's so it's kind of beyond adolescence but it's still it's kind of like an extension where the frontal lobe is still developing they might have a better understanding of gauging risk-taking that's of Mm -hmm. course part of every stage and that's really where that individuation really unfolds I mean it's a kind of a lifelong journey for all of us but that identity forming, cultivating, forging one's way into the world. They're leaving the nest. They're saying, no, this is what's important to me. And they might, it might be very different than what they grew up in. So that's kind of how I look at the stages. There's a few other ways people do it, but that's kind of the most like simple, clear three phases.
0: Love it. I am all about organization. So putting them in little segments or time frames really is helpful to me. And you said so many things that really resonate. Privacy is a big one. So Blakeslee, she was having a rough day with with some friend drama, and I mean, she's in middle school, goes with the territory, right? And she's very sensitive too, so she was having a hard day, and and we talked a little bit about it. And then she said, mom, I, I would like to be alone if that's okay, just in my room later. And I said, yeah, but if I need to come in and ask you something, then I'll, I'll, I'll knock and, and come in. And she goes, but mom, we talked about this a while ago. And you said, if I ever need time to myself, then you would give it to me. And I said, you are so right. And it made me wanna cry because I like cry because I was proud of her for st- for saying that to me and saying, you know what, mom? She didn't get mad. She wasn't angry. She wasn't like, dang it, I need my alone time. She said in a perfectly normal conversational tone, not angry at all. She said, mom, you know, you told me that if I needed alone time that I just needed to ask. So is it okay? And I said, you are so right. And you get your alone time and you just let me know when you are okay to come out or just come out of your room and I'm always here for you. I'm always here to talk, but it was, it was kind of a beautiful moment, you know, where she, she was maturing like right before my eyes and, and actually asking for something that she truly needed and reminding me in a kind way that that's what she needed and that that's what I had told her and that I should honor that. So I was really proud of her, you know? Oh, it makes me
1: want to tear up too. Like what a vision to have and what a moment for both of you, you know, it would so, so easily could someone take that personally or she could get
0: upset and it would make sense. But you both were like, yeah, I see you. I hear you. I respect you. Totally. Yes. And I mean, that was a good moment. They are not all good moments, but I will take the good moments and latch onto those and embrace them and remember them and... And I feel like that's what I have to do. I feel like that's what we all have to do in the teenage years, you know, just focus on the positive. So I know a big thing that you focus on is communication. So I'd love to know your tips on how, how do we talk to our kids? What's the most important thing we can do and how can we connect with them?
1: Yeah, for sure. This is huge. and And it's so different than when they're little, you know, especially because we used to maybe say, parents used to say like, here's what I expect. Here's what we're doing. And and sometimes there wouldn't be a peep out, you know, it just would go seamlessly sometimes, but the teen years are different. And, and like the example you just shared, actually, you were able to really tune in and listen when she shared what was going on for her. And so listening and curiosity about where your teenager at is going to go such a long way. I mean, if we think about a teenager's day, They're very much just being told what to do and going class to class or Zoom call to Zoom call. And so tuning Mm -hmm. into where they're at and really listening and taking a breath. The other piece is when, you know, your teenager is sharing, we can, for example, if they're like, oh, I hate school or my friend, you know, or my teacher, I'm really frustrated or my friend did this. We can hop quickly to the fix mode and -hmm. the wanting to make it better, which is so natural. Who wants to see anyone suffer? I mean, no way, especially our children or in our families. So, you know, it's important to actually just validate, continue listening, Mm -hmm. continue being curious and then validate what they're talking about. What do you hate most about school? This is something that a lot of us don't think about saying because we jump ahead we think they're going to be miserable, and if we say that, we'll keep them miserable, or they won't go to school. But it's really like, yeah, what do you hate? Because there might be something going on they need to talk about.
0: Mm-hmm. And if we
1: if we ask that, then they know there's an open door. Whether they decide to share or not, it's up to them. But at least they know. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. this is a place I can maybe share that instead of too bad we all have to go, which is a <laughs> more common reaction. Which is what I say
0: all the time,
1: of course, because we jump ahead and we're like, oh crap. Oh crap, this is going to get bad. I need to fix it. (laughs) Stop it, you know? Yes,
0: you have to go to school. I don't care. I went to school. You have
1: to go to school. (laughs) It's so natural. It's like in our lineage, you know? It's in our language lineage. So it's really rerouting that and being like, yeah, what do you hate? And it's okay to ask that. And it can feel really strange at first though. And like, am I supposed to be saying this?
0: (laughs) I was thinking that, but you know what? I actually want the kids to get home today so I can ask them because I swear I say, how was school today? Every day, you know, it's the normal question when they get in the car at carpool. And Max is always like, eh, or whatever. He just doesn't like it. Blakely is my, so we just went back for, from winter break. You know, we just started school again. And luckily my kids are in school, in person, in school. And yay. uh, Yay. Seriously, I, my heart goes out to all the parents and the teachers who are, and administrators who are having to deal with homeschooling and online learning. Uh, it's just a lot. So anyway, I'm very thankful that they're in school. Anyway, so the first day back to school after winter break, it was like the first day of school for her. Like she was all excited. She wanted to wear her new stuff that she got from Christmas, you know, her Doc Martens and her and her new coat and her leggings from Athleta and whatever. She was all excited. And Max could not wake him up. You know, he was like, <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, and and she she is of the belief that you know school isn't cool to like. So she often says, eh, "I don't like school or whatever." But I I think that she truly, down deep, does love it. So I totally get that, and I really kind of want to try it out when they get home and just be like, "Okay, you hated school today. So what'd you hate about it?" Instead of being like my normal annoying mom and saying. Well, hmm, well, I'm sorry you hate school, but you have to go.
1: (laughs) Totally. I know. I think we forget in all our relationships that like, we don't have to connect only on positive things. It's like we can join someone in what sucks and that's, I mean, how comforting is that? And we might learn a lot too about what's really going on or, you know, or what their values are and what their perspectives are. So I'm excited for you. Yeah, they think going to be fun. One more thing maybe is not taking it personally, not taking mm-hmm. anything personally, sort of when they want their space, like you were mentioning about your daughter, it's not necessarily because you do anything wrong or they don't love you anymore. It's like, you know, human nature, we can kind of go down that rabbit hole, but it's not taking it personally. Even if they say, I hate you, like in in heated moments, it's remaining cool, calm, self-regulate because we can't help them self-regulate if we're not doing that ourselves. And we can't expect them to,
0: if we're not. So
1: that's the other piece trying to take it personally.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's so hard for me. Holy cow. I take everything personally as a sensitive soul. Like I just, Oh gosh, I take, take everything personally. So that's hard for sure. So I was looking over, so you have a couple free guides on your website that people can, you just input your email and then it goes right to your inbox, um, a PDF And one of them is specific for COVID. It's called quarantine, but T-E-E-N at the end. Very cute. Very clever. So anyway, I was looking over that today, and there was a quote in it that I really felt was poignant and really spoke to me. It is, teenagers are allergic to control, partial presence, and inauthenticity. Oh my gosh. Well said. So true. So I would love for you to expand on that and kind of get into why they are allergic, you know, quote unquote, to control partial presence and inauthenticity and how we can use that knowledge to better our relationship with them.
1: Yes. I I love that you pulled that out of there. It's so accurate for this whole stage of development. I mean, and for a lot of people in general, but very much so for adolescents and the young people, at least that I know is they're so sensitive and aware when there's an adult agenda and, you know, a lot of their day is controlled. Actually studies show the book teen 2.0 talks about that's by Robert Epstein, how teenagers actually have less control than people who are incarcerated. Mm. So it's their, their lives are pretty Laid out for them, and so Mm -hmm. it's really important for teenagers to have a sense of control. Actually, it's important for all humans to at least feel like they have something that they can make a choice about. Um, But teenagers are really sensitive to this agenda, and I think that's why sometimes that question of how was school or did you do your homework really bugs them because they're being asked that all day by their teachers, and and it's like they're more than that, especially during adolescence. Their brain is like noticing be um, injustices in the world and they're really interested in, I mean, whatever they're interested in, it might be pop culture or politics or entrepreneurship or video games, but they're thinking about other stuff and homework's not at the top of every kid's list. <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> like rarely is there this very type A young person where it's their jam. There's so many young people that are creative and need to move their bodies and and their values are so different. So when there's this agenda, when everything's about control or when someone's just asking them something for their own reasons, but doesn't really care about the answer, just trying to get them to move in a different direction or, you know, they're just, it doesn't feel good for them. This is what I understand from the young people that are in my life. And so it's really kind of just even knowing that. So how can we be authentic with what we do ask and how we do engage? So it's like, talk about stuff they wanna talk about. Or even with regard to what you were saying before, how was your day is very vague or how was school? And usually they're just over school at that point. They're not. They're, they're done with it. And so if we say something like, I know you were nervous about that history test. How did it go? That sort of shows we've been paying attention, we're, we're tuned in and they may or may not answer but at least that is a little bit more real for them or like Mm -hmm. shows that we've been really listening. Yeah, that you care. Yeah, something happened with Julie last week. Are you guys still not talking? And again, they may not share, but at least they know, oh, she's paying attention or he's paying attention. And just just being aware of that. If we're not being authentic, they're going to pick up on it and they're going to close up, clam up, and and they're not going
0: to want to share. So-
1: The journey to authenticity is different for everyone, but it does impact the relationship.
0: For sure. I mean, also, I feel like for me, you know, I work on my phone or on my computer. I'm, that's what I do besides laundry and chores and, you know, housework and all that. But I feel like it's a very good reminder this quote that they're allergic to partial presence really stood out to me because being present is something that's important to me like in my love languages words of affirmation is big but also uh quality time and so i know that if i'm not if ryan's on his phone and i'm trying to have a conversation with him explain something that's going on with the kids or bills or whatever or just life you know and he's on his phone i'm like dude put your phone down and pay attention to me so I know that my kids sense that too. And it's a great reminder to me to just put down my freaking phone or get off my computer and actually walk away from my desk and give them a hug or or not because Max hates hugs. Physical touch is not his love language. You know, being physically and emotionally, mentally, all the things present is really important.
1: Yeah, I'm the same way, actually. Those are my top two love languages Trista and you know it's you just brought up something that's so important which is taking the opportunities being present enough that when they say I hate school or I'm struggling with my friend or whatever's going on and then we're like right there in it and not that we have to stare at them and like you know right excited, but it's like yeah drop <laughs> the phone and be like and be like oh yeah what happened or what was hard and 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 use that as an opportunity because teenagers will want to connect on their own terms. It's not necessarily when we want to. <laughs> yeah, And right. And yeah, that's such a good, you just brought up, yeah, lots of good stuff there. Totally resonate and your kids do too.
0: Well, and also I think for us, like one good tip for people out there who don't already do this, but I read somewhere or got a recommendation from someone somewhere, sometime, putting our phones away at the dinner table is a necessity and trying to eat meals together whenever we could is important as well so whenever ryan is home you know he's a firefighter so he works 24-hour shifts so when he's home that is our our deal we eat dinner together we put away our phones the kids start by trying to sneak their phones in and keep playing their games or texting their friends or whatever and it's my rule no phones at the table even my phone that has definitely helped us to be able to connect and have good conversations and, and really f- just feel connected.
1: Amazing. Yeah. It's, it's a great that they're receptive to that because sometimes that's not always the case. And then we have to be like, okay, how do I, how do I make this work for everyone? It sounds like they're into it at least.
0: No, I mean, they're like, and Max will try to just keep his phone on his person, like in his pocket or under his legs, you know, where he's sitting. And I'm like, no, 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 it's time. That's just our, a house rule, you know, no phones at the table during dinner. So, I, you know, we stick to it. And if they don't like it, I'm so sorry, but that's a rule at in our house. <laughs> and you're going to respect it. And we're, you know, it's it's the one time I feel like that we're all together and actually connect and have a good conversation. And maybe we don't even have a conversation. Maybe we're all in bad moods and we just eat our dinner. And, you know, Ryan has football on and we're watching football. I don't know. But at least we're in the same space and we can connect if people want to connect, so.
1: Oh, I love that. Like with it, they're like, you're like, here's the structure, here's here's what is this rule. And there's all this space to be ourselves in it. Like grumpy, not grumpy. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no one's being forced to be in a good mood. People are just being forced to not- (laughs) Be on their phones (laughs) for like one hour. That's right. Even 20 minutes, whatever it is to finish your dinner, but no electronics. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I reached out uh, on my Instagram stories and asked people for questions to ask you. So I got some really great ones and I would love to get into those because I think they will expand our conversation. So we've kind of covered some of it. Oh, this was a good one when do you start talking about sex with teen boys is what was specified, but obviously with teen girls as well. Yeah, for sure. This is a great question. I'm actually writing about this
1: right now. I mean, well, not in this conversation, but recently. And so for young people, it's important to talk about it before it's a really hot topic and everyone's having sex, you know, quote everyone. And, bef- and, but after it's on the radar, mm-hmm. um,
0: just kind of that sweet middle spot it's usually like eighth grade which sounds really young I know but actually that sounds really late to me we already we already had the talk with both of them and Blakesley's sixth grade and Max is seventh and I think in our school sorry to interrupt you but
1: no it's great
0: so at our school they actually cover it right when they start middle school I think the first year of middle school and for us that's fifth grade and they have like someone come in to do that that talk. So when I knew that that was going to be happening, I asked a friend who has older kids if she had any advice. And she was like, I have these great books that I'm going to give you. Uh, we covered everything. So it had to be when he was probably 11 or 12, and Blakesley was 10 or 9, something like that, around those ages. So I guess that first stage of adolescence but it really worked for us. Not to say that the, it would work, you know, that way for other people. I feel like it's a very individual thing. But anyway, that's that's my experience. But continue, please. I I interrupted you so badly with the longest story.
1: That's so please. helpful. I'm glad I'm glad you did because because it does come up in fifth or sixth grade sometimes with that class, depending on which community and town we live yes. in. Um And so that does kind of you, what you did was you kind of aligned with what they were already learning at school and so there wasn't a separation which is great and then I may add another layer though because you know you've done the initial work right what sex is and the body and stuff and then as they get older like actually kind of where they are now is when we might and want to start talking about you know the risks and so Mm -hmm. we're like yeah okay I've checked the, the body and like they know what it is. And, and maybe even there's values in your home that you got to share with them. Like, you know, if you have any opinions about when or who or whatever, like sometimes that can come up and that's okay. Not that we can control necessarily as they get into later years, what they choose, but these later years, eighth grade and up was really about what the risks are and, mm-hmm. and, and how to manage them. And, and it's important that they know what they are so whether it's like unplanned pregnancies or or sexually transmitted infections these things are like more nitty-gritty that come up later and so you have like this really great foundation and the school has helped with that and then talking about these other things including even like if you know letting them know that there's places to support this like you can get and it, this this is like kind of hard for some parents to wrap their heads around but really making clear like you can go to a doctor and talk about this stuff privately or, mm-hmm. you know, how to take care of yourself and, and be more in control. And it's not because you're saying do whatever you want. It's more like the, you know, the risks and how to manage them is really important. You being mature and understanding is ahead of time, knowing how to take care of yourself, protect yourself, make good choices. That type of stuff does come into play later. It's great enough. Yes. Not that They're necessarily engaging in sexual behavior, but they're going to be hearing about it. They're obviously seeing it on TV and whatever, so those sorts of conversations become more important
0: in high school. <laughs> oh, for sure. Right, and how
1: I, to treat people and yourself, and
0: and peer pressure, and yeah, all of that. I feel like the risks are definitely the next important conversation to have. And I, anytime it comes up, we'll. Talk about it. You know, we recently had a conversation about peer pressure, but so, but I really wanted to get that first conversation in there when it was happening in school because if they're talking about it in school, then they probably have tons of questions. And I want them to know that they can come to to me always. For sure. That's, and that's huge because knowing that they can
1: come to you when they want and feel comfortable and you're going to hear them means you actually will have more influence too because your connection line of communication is strong so then actually you can have an influence and young people despite what we they kind of the eye rolls or or things they do want to know what adults think and what their parents think um it is important to them and what's what's important is that when they have these questions they're not reprimanded or punished for thinking certain things and having these curiosities this is also natural and um and we you know want to be a sounding board so they don't venture off to someone who's not a trusted adult, perhaps, or a trusted person, you know, so props to you for having that open door
0: for them. Well, it is open, but I I do have to say one of my downfalls is reacting to things. And so there have definitely been times where they come to me and I react in a negative way. <laughs> and so there have been those moments. So who knows, like they know, because I've said it, that if I... I am here always for you to come and talk to. I just hope that the reactions that I sometimes have don't negate that, you know, future connection and conversation.
1: Yeah, that's so. even something we can tell young people. It's like, wow, I reacted. Maybe even I overreacted. I'm still learning too. We can even ask them what what works for them. And we might be surprised by what they say.
0: Yeah, I think that's great. That's like the open-ended question oh the other day I reacted to something oh I know what it was so Max plays hockey and he forgot his skates to practice and we drive a half an hour there and a half an hour back and that's that's a long distance in our small little town I got upset and I was like dude this is your hockey gear you are responsible for it you're 13 years old And I was like, you're going to you're going to stay and you're going to watch practice because I didn't just drive all the way down here for you to like go right back home because you forgot to put your skates back in your hockey bag. So I got really upset. And then afterwards, I was like, dude, I'm sorry. I reacted that way. I was upset. This is your responsibility. Your gear is your responsibility. You're old enough to be in charge of it. And, but I shouldn't have reacted the way that I did. So I'm sorry. So I feel like apologizing when you do, you know, make the mistake of overreacting is really important. At least it is to me because I admit when I'm wrong and I admit when I, when I do something to hurt someone's feelings and I try to apologize for that. So I feel like that's really important for our kids. Yeah, Yeah, it
1: is. Yes. It so is, especially because, you know, culturally, I don't know if there's many people that do that for young people or for children, even, you know, there's, there's an interesting paradigm that we're currently, I think, leaving and seeing children more as whole people. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah, they, they kind of deserve that just like anybody does. If, if someone overreacts and it's, it's also great. Cause then they see, Oh, overreacting is human and we can also circle back around and make it quote right and that yeah you're a human too and he's gonna forget stuff and you might forget stuff and really in the eyes of children their parents are like everything even in the teen years there's still some of that is like you are just like how you think about them is so important to them and so I I imagine he was on some level kind of devastated and was like Dang. Like I let her down or something. I'm sure part of him was in was there and felt that. And even if it wasn't sad or
0: oh, he was sad. He was sad and and he was mad at himself and he didn't get to play. And they only got one practice that week because we're limited in terms of practices and games and stuff. So he was bummed, really bummed. But I made it worse, you know, by overreacting. And I wanted to apologize for that. So beautiful. Yeah. He has that
1: natural consequence
0: that that happened. And so, yeah, I wonder
1: like if that happened again, what would be a different response rather than reaction or, you know, cause it could happen again.
0: <laughs> uh, yep. I'll say it. it did happen last night. So we went, went to practice and he forgot his helmet this time and it was at the same rink, So we drove the exact same distance, but this time I didn't overreact. I was sitting outside because you're not supposed to be in the rink at this time um, just cause of COVID. So he called me and he's and he was really upset. Uh, you could tell. And he just said, I can't find my I can't find my helmet. I don't know where it is. And I said, Okay, so when did you last have it? We had, you know, I was very calm and wasn't like, oh my God, you forgot your helmet. I didn't I did not overreact this time and I just said, Okay, so where was it last? And we talked about it for a minute, and then I said, Okay, I'm gonna go inside and I'll just ask, ask them if they have an extra helmet that you can borrow. I went in, asked, brought him like three, four different options. He tried one on and I was like, okay, this is best. You're wearing this and and then you get to practice. So we we dealt with it. And when we got home, his helmet was hanging up. <laughs> right um, he left. Yep. Well, he actually leaves all his stuff in his bag, I think because he's worried that he's going to forget stuff. And he's done that for a long time. But now he's going to have to just take a look around and make sure he's got everything. Um, so I think it's, you know, ultimately a good learning lesson.
1: Oh, for sure. And that's beautiful because everybody needs help sometimes. Some people are more forgetful than others. And so it's like he got he got the memo this time, like, oh, shoot, I forgot something. But I still am worthy of support. Yeah. Like those, you know, those two things can live together. and And amazing. You probably took some deep breaths.
0: Well, at least we were, we were not together in that moment. Like I was outside in the car and I could be like, you know what? I was upset with myself because of the way I reacted before. I'm not going to do the same thing. We're going to be calm about it and it's going to be okay. It's just a helmet. We're going to find him a one to borrow and then he can skate. So it's all good. Another question from one of my followers is, should there be a set bedtime or should we let them decide? Oh I love this question.
1: Sleep is so interesting for teenagers. You know their circadian rhythm is so different than adults and babies and younger kids. And so I might say a different answer to, under normal or quote normal mm. circumstances. Although right now given how everything's just upside down backward sideways a mess and every kid's life is so different, some in school, some on Zoom. It's really more about the quantity. I -hmm. mean, quality would be great, of course, you know, sleeping from nine to six or something. that would be phenomenal if we all did that or 10 to seven. For teenagers, it's so common for them to stay up till 11 or midnight or one if they're playing video games and they've got that light on their eyes. So it's and, and right now it's it's so different. So it's one option to kind of decide and because there's no one way to do anything. If you are a family that wants to decide when the bedtime is, I would highly recommend to include your teenager in that and sort of do like a compromise Mm. situation so that they buy into it and have some control. If we just say you have to go to bed at 10, it might actually impact the relationship like with resentment or just not feeling heard. And that's what's more important than that from my perspective is that you're still connected. They feel seen and heard and they have some say in this. So even if Mm -hmm. it's midnight to eight, that's still eight hours, which is okay. But it's not like that's easy because most adults want to go to bed before midnight and they're tired. And so it's like, how do I go to sleep knowing my kids playing, I don't know, whatever video game or on their phone? Do I, what do I do with that? So I think it's about compromising seeing what they want, seeing what your ideal is and their idea and finding sort of a middle ground so that there isn't that banging together of heads and values and and right and wrong and more of just like, let's figure this out together. So that would be kind of the way I would go about it. So it would look different for each family.
0: No, I think that's great. I think you're right. It is all about compromise. And up till now, I have insisted On bedtime, especially because I know with my kids, especially, they are really affected by sleep. They always have been. If they don't get good sleep and they don't stick to a schedule, then the attitude shoots way up, the bad attitude shoots way up. They aren't able to focus as much, they don't listen as much, they are snappy, you know they are not happy, all, all the things. So, so yeah, I, I have insisted on bedtime. Usually we, we try for like 10, 30 on weeknights and you're saying they need, they need eight, eight hours of sleep, eight to 10.
1: At least, at least teenagers it's, you know, when they can get 10 hours, that's great.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I, and I wake them up. Or or alarm goes off at like seven, seven fifteen. So I guess if they're going to bed at 10 30, if they end up falling asleep at like eleven, that's that's eight hours. So I that to me is based on when we need to get up in order to be at school on time. I have to set the bedtime for that, or else like Max would stay on video games all night long. Blakesley would stay on YouTube all night long. So I feel like as the parent, I need to kind of step up, at least in our family. Um, and like you said, everyone's different. But for us, I need to insist on bedtime being, uh, you know, getting ready for bed at like 9 30 and kind of easing into when they fall asleep. Yeah, that
1: makes so much sense. And you know, for families where this is the way it needs to be, whether it's because of school, you know, when you have to wake up for school or, you know, whatever's going on, the dynamics are all different. But for families similar to yours, it makes so much sense because we do all need sleep. It's just kind of the way it is. So we can even blame it on that. I mean, not that we have to be blamey, but it's like, I wish I could stay up all night and get all the things done. I need to do like when we don't get sleep, me included, it's a mess. And so like you can use the research or just use the facts and be like, I know the phone is so much more interesting that, you know, all that stuff. And it's not that you're the bad guy, the parents, not the bad guy. We just all
0: need sleep, and yes, uh, we do. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard. I will share one thing that happened actually last night. So this is not an ad. It's not. I'm not being paid to say this, but Blakeslee and I have this. It's called a Hatch, and it's like a nightlight slash alarm clock slash um, meditation device. And she tried. The meditation part of it, because she has a hard time falling asleep. Sometimes she'll ask me to rub her back or she'll come in and just snuggle with me while I'm reading. Or if I've finished my reading for the night before bed, then she'll just snuggle in for a little bit. And, And then once she kind of dozes off, I'm like, okay, time to go back into your bed so you get a good night's sleep. But she said that she tried. There's a meditation part of this device where it, it helps you fall asleep. And she goes, mom, I tried it and it, it helped me fall asleep so well. She's like, I really relaxed. And so I have never even like, I, up until I've started this podcast, cause meditation comes up a lot with all of my guests and with anyone really, um, it comes up all the time. And so I'm like, I need to, I need to try this too. And I think that Holy cow! I've never thought of it for my kids, but I think it's gr- it's a great thing to be able to start with them so that they can utilize it now and and even in their future.
1: Oh my gosh, yes! I mean, a world where everyone, even just knows about meditation, practices it once in a while, or anything to be to self soothe and self regulate and get good sleep. I mean, that's life changing. That's like world changing. Right. Yeah. It's so, it's, that's, that's amazing.
0: Yeah. I was like, great. And I wasn't even the one that was like, you need to do this. You know, she did it on her own and, and she loved it. I'm like, okay, let's encourage that (laughs) so that you can get better sleep. I want you to sleep better because, you know, I was having sleep problems personally. And Ryan read this article about blue light and phones. And, uh, you know, typically I was bringing my phone into bed, and working until I turned it off and laid down. And of course, that affects everything. The blue light, you know, we have LED lights in Blakesley's room. Just she, she likes them for aesthetics. And so we change her blue light to red light at night so that she can sleep a little better. And I think it's really important. Like, do you have thoughts on when to stop the electronic use before bedtime? Is there any kind of guideline in terms of when you should? For, for your teenagers, especially.
1: You know, I don't know the full science of it, but from what I'm kind of remembering, because it's I've definitely read about this before and, and know for all of us, it affects us. But teenagers are just more sensitive to life in general. They just are heightened and their brain is expanding and their eyes are opening a whole new way. But yeah, I mean, at least a couple hours before bed is ideal for any of us. Like, even if we think about it, I tend to think about things really with nature a lot of the time. So it's like when the sun goes down, even around that time is probably Mm. ideal, given that's what's happening around us in nature. But that's hard in the wintertime. And I mean, with school right now, some kids actually are doing homework until 7 p.m. on their computers. So it's so... So, very, it so varies, but you know, mm. I think the more time before bed, the better. And if we do need to be, or if they do need to be on their devices, having those glasses that that yes. block that light would be helpful. Um, and, eat, and celebrate the wins if, like, three out of seven days of the week they're they're you know off at an early enough time and are sleeping well, like, great, and that can grow. You know, when we focus on what's working, we can grow that. Mm -hmm. Um, but so often, of course we focus on what's, what's not right. Our brains are sort of wired that way, especially under stress.
0: Totally. (laughs) I love this conversation. Okay. So, sorry, I tend to sing when I'm excited. (laughs) Okay. So I always end, uh, each conversation with each of my guests with this question. Kirsten Kobabe, how will you be better tomorrow? And this can be personally or professionally, whichever you like. It's just my way of infusing the theme of my podcast into your life. And then maybe people out there can relate to it as well.
1: Yes. Well, your shirt is reminding me of gratitude, which I grateful. Have- Yes, grateful. <laughs> this is so, so important. And I'm excited to read your book because oh, yes, you have a book about gratitude. Um, <laughs> I'm really interested in being more grateful because like we were just saying, our minds can kind of move to the places where things could be better or, and they can always be better and they can always be worse. So what can we be grateful for right now? It's very presenting and I love this. And additionally, you know, I'm really focusing on, I guess, allowing, I sort of choose a word for every year as like an anchor and mm. I'm working on this allowing, um, allowing what is and just being non-judgmental with it. And really, radically accepting. And I, I imagine a lot of us have been kind of put into that, forced into that uh, with last year. But yeah, those are those are my themes that are coming up lately that that are really important to me, so that I can be better and be better for those around me, and and also not beat beat myself up.
0: Yeah, I do that too. I get that. So love that answer. Okay, so how can people find you?
1: go to my website, KirstenCobabe.com, or you can same, same words on Instagram at Kirsten You can also find a lot of my free resources at RaisingUnicorn.co.
0: Awesome. Tell everybody about the programs that you offer.
1: So I have a basics program, sort of understanding the basics of adolescence so that, you know, you have that foundation. And then every couple of months I do a more in-depth course at six weeks includes sessions with me and really dives into what some of the blockages or stuck places might be and how to really transform them so that you can have that connection and relationship and rapport throughout those inevitable waves of adolescence because we can't really avoid those, but we can have a more control over how we respond and having a solid foundation for those waves to sort of land.
0: yes such good information okay well thank you Kirsten it's been a pleasure such good information and I'm thankful to finally get into the parenting realm and and offer some support for people out there including myself on how to better raise our kids so thank you
1: oh it's so my pleasure
0: lovely talking with you Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. I hope you feel a little better after having listened. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you listen to your podcasts. If you're enjoying our show, please send it to a friend and put a little better into their lives. Also, if you would like to find me, you can go to Instagram at Trista Sutter or Facebook at Trista Sutter Fan Page. Thanks, everybody, and have a great day.